On this prequel episode, we've got our whole follow-up polls. <laughs> We're learning about vampires and previewing Interview with the Vampire. Couldn't have. It just happens to rhyme. Hello and welcome back to this film is lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. This week's episode, it's a prequel episode. Uh, we said it before, mentioned it in the last episode. We're doing for the Halloween season, for the spooky season. We are doing interview with the vampire. But first, we're going to discuss. We got a lot of feedback about holes. Katie, what do people think? All right, so. We didn't get a ton of, like, votes right. overall, but we got a lot of commentary yes. um, on our polls. Um, so on Twitter, the movie won out. Yeah. We got seven votes on Twitter. Wild. I know, big number. Um, and the movie got about four of those. Yeah. Um, and the book got about three. Um, so we had a couple comments from people. Um, I'm not going to read all of the comments verbatim because that would take a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll give you the gist of it. Um, uh, at Dragon Babies Pod uh, said, The first time I read Holes, I was completely transfixed. Stayed up under the covers with a flashlight all night. Which I will say is one of the best ways to read. Mm-hmm. I just want to put that out there. Harry Potter agrees. Yeah. <laughs> in the movies um, so they preferred uh, the book um, at, at, uh, Dominic Shima also preferred the book mm-hmm. um, said uh, I gotta hand it to the book to me it feels more nostalgic than the movie and the narrative is a lot better than the actual movie um, which was a lot of what we talked about yeah. in the episode um, and then uh, Scarface um, good old Scarface mm-hmm. and uh, Shelby Suderman um, both preferred the movie. Um, Scarface said the book is great, un- of course, but the movie to me is more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shelby said, uh, while I recognize the movie has issues that didn't age well, I preferred the movie. Um, maybe it's because I read the book so I could follow it, but I preferred the pacing of the hmm. movie. So Interesting. Yeah, kind of the opposite of how we felt about yeah. it, which is yeah. interesting. It is interesting. Um, and then we had a comment from uh, at Cinemurai. 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 Yeah, I don't know how to say it. Um, who said the book doesn't have Shia LaBeouf and I can't read. Those are so, two great reasons. To two great reasons to prefer the movie. <laughs> how about on Facebook? Um, over on Facebook, we got nine votes, and they were all for the book. Yeah, that's a wild difference. I know. So, so when you combine it all together, the book won. Yes. Um, As it should. <laughs> and we got a couple comments from um, Ray Harper mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, he preferred the book. Uh, a lot of things about... Um, um, like the extra details about uh, with Stanley's inner thoughts, um, seeing him like open up and kind of gradually uh, gain confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, they also mentioned a couple scenes that the movie had to cut, like um, some of Elia's experiences with new life in America, um, some of the interactions with like Mister Sir and some of the other members of the camp staff. Um, and he also brought up um, something that I thought was interesting. We talked about um, 
the joke at the end of the movie. I, yeah. Continue, yeah. Yeah. About uh, John Voight's character being named Marion, and then mm-hmm. they, they one of the kids says, I, I didn't think that was a man's name, and then John Voight's character says, it isn't. Yeah. And then that's and then everybody goes oh yeah, um, so he thought that that might have been a reference to John Wayne, which that's interesting, whose real name was Marion. Yeah, um, which would make that more of like an actual joke, like an inside weird joke. Yeah, it's still to me. I went back and watched it again after seeing a couple people comment about that. That's how they took it. Uh-huh. Not not specifically the John Wayne thing, but specifically didn't take it as like that that John Voight's character was previously a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I I still go back and watching it. The way John Voight's character says it isn't and has this look on his face feels to me like there's an implication there that it's not a man's name. Wink, wink, nod to the camera is kind of how it feels Mm -hmm. to me still. Um, But this is an interesting... It's still weird and gross because it's like... Yeah, that's not a man's name, you punk. Like I like I get it in the context of John Wayne being this like you know, like, epitome of like traditional masculinity yeah. and blah blah blah. Like sure. I get, you know, I kind of get all that. It's still um, kind of weird, but yeah. I still read it the way I originally did because, like I said, I went back and watched it after we talked to April, and she didn't get that out of it. And then when I saw some other people commenting about it, mm-hmm. I still read it the way I did. I think that's. Still feel like that's probably what it was, but this is an interesting take. I, I think either reading and I, either of these kind of three readings now yeah. that we have are all valid readings of it. Yeah. Um, it's it is. I think no matter how you slice it, it's kind of an odd moment at yeah. the end of an otherwise very good adaptation. Yeah, um, but it is uh, the, it, it, to bolster the claim that it's re- in relation to John Wayne is that um, John Voight lost his first Oscar nomination for Midnight Cowboy to John Wayne, who won mm-hmm. for True Great, which I thought was an interesting little yeah. kind of extra bit. Of, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I can buy that. In kind terms of, of a connection for yeah. those two yep. actors. Um, and then we had one comment over on Instagram um, from MJ Colwood, who said, I'd say this is one of those rare occasions when the film honors the book, mm-hmm. um, which I would agree with. Yeah, yeah, we did uh, We did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Or we said the same thing, that it's a very much, um, pretty much a draw, but we just slightly prefer the book. Yeah, yeah. MJ Colwood marked it up a straight draw, but... Had to give it to somebody, and we went with the book. Um, they also said that they show the movie to their students every year, oh, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, which is cool. Awesome. Um, I don't know what class it is, but yeah. I hope they also read it. Yeah, because I like think a, that would be depending on the class. Yeah, I maybe think that would f- be an interesting unit. Maybe it's to a teach. class specifically about adapting. It's an adapted screenplay class. <laughs> Like maybe and then in that regard, but then you should still read it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, cool. All right, uh, well that's it for our follow up on holes. Let's move on to learning things with this film is lit and talk about the evolution of the vampire. Anybody tells you, 
Words and ideas can change the world. Um, so I went a little bit ham yeah, with the did. learning I things section. Lots of notes that wasn't this time. expecting. Um, Last time I looked, there was a paragraph, and then I checked back like an hour later, and there was two pages, and I was like, wow. It's not two pages. Okay, Sorry. maybe it's close uh, it's to two pretty pages. pretty close to two pages. It's, it's absolutely... It's almost two almost pages. Almost two pages. All right, well, this was kind of in my wheelhouse, yeah, sort of, so... All right. I ain't mad about it. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about vampires. Um, so vampires, according to popular legend, um, a vampire is a creature that preys on humans, uh, generally by consuming their blood. Um, and vampires are found in lots of different folklores. Um, lots of different folklores have uh, some kind of creature that has characteristics that are comparable to what we know as a vampire. Um, now, because there is a pretty long history, um, within folklore of, like, walking corpses, um, blood-sucking ghouls, that kind of thing, it is kind of difficult to pin down a distinct set of characteristics that we can, like, consistently contribute only to vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of one of those things where you're, you're looking at all these different things and you're like, okay, well is this a vampire or is this like something different that just right. happens to share a couple a similar, of common similarities yeah. with a vampire. Um, but I think we can come up with a couple of like common uh, recurring characteristics. Uh -huh. um, so consumption of human blood or some other kind of like essence, essence um, or bodily fluid, yeah. um, sharp teeth or fangs more mm -hmm. specifically, and having been somehow revived after dying Yes, are kind of like our three big hallmarks of the vampire. Yeah. Um, so creatures with um, vampiric characteristics um, are noted in folklore at least as far back as ancient Greece probably farther if I had had time to do a little more digging. Yeah. Um, but specifically, um, in ancient Greece, we had stories of uh, creatures that attacked people in their sleep and drained their bodily fluids. Um, the only thing, and I don't know how far when these rate from, or, and you may get to this, but there was, I know, specifically in China or Japan, um, uh, um, vampires. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's previous to ancient Greece or after you know what I mean? I, yeah, I don't know off the top after. of my head. I guess would be after, but I don't know. I know there's um, timelines. I pulled that from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Okay. So make of that what you will. Right. Um, and then, of course, there's that kind of sticky place of like, are we considering this a vampire or right. does it just have some can common characteristics yeah. with what we would call a vampire? It, it can be a little bit hard to like actually nail these things down. Right. Um, anyway... Um, we're moving into more of like what we generally recognize as like a vampire vampire. Mm -hmm. um, we go to medieval Europe yeah. for that um, with uh, tales of walking corpses that drank the blood of the living and spread the plague. Um, all over medieval Europe, especially during times of disease. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been a lot of research done on that in the 20th and 21st centuries um, where we're actually like looking at diseases that exist and saying, okay, maybe some people just had X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and that's where some of these uh, like rumors come from. 
Um, like, for example, um, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, uh, porphyria. I believe it's porphyria. Porphyria. I, I, I don't know if that, that's, I um, think. Which can make you sensitive to sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you know, tuberculosis, which can cause you to waste away and, like, cough up blood. Um, rabies that can make you bite people. For a very short right? period of time before you die. Yes, yeah. but still. Um, so we can kind of, you know, trace um, these instances of quote-unquote vampires walking around to actual legitimate diseases that people may have had. But of course, in medieval Europe, we were making it vampires because we didn't know anything about diseases yet. Also, uh, rabies causes um, aversions to water. Uh, from, uh, so yeah. like holy water potentially yeah, could. potentially. Maybe. I, I'm purely speculating on my <laughs> ass right here, so don't... <laughs> Um, So vampire myths were especially popular in Eastern Europe, um, and the word vampire most likely comes from that region of the world, like the actual word vampire. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the modern incarnation of the vampire myth actually comes not so much from folklore, but more from Gothic European literature in the 18th and 19th centuries, especially long-form poetry. Um, We had examples like um, Heinrich uh, um, August Ossen, Ossenfelder's Der Vampire yeah. um, in 1748. Uh, John Stagg's The Vampire with a Y mm-hmm. in 1810. Um, and you know uh, Lord Byron was going to be in here. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote uh, The Jower in 1813. Uh, the first known prose vampire story published in English is believed to be John Polidori's The Vampire, also with a Y, mm-hmm. um, in 1918. When you want to be fancy, you spell it with a Y. Yeah, I believe that <laughs> comes from the old German. Yes. Probably, yeah. <laughs> when we're being particularly gothic. Vampire. Um, and there, there's a bunch of other examples. Um, I also wanted to specifically uh, mention Sheridan Le Fenu's uh, Carmilla, which was thought to have been published sometime in the early 1870s, um, and which also established the vampire femme fatale mm-hmm. character. And of course, we're not getting out of this conversation without mentioning Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Uh, the vampire story to end all vampire stories, and arguably the most important work of vampire fiction. Um, and now I say most important work because um, a lot of the popular vampire characteristics that we recognize today, um, like uh, methods of how vampires survived, how to destroy them, um, vampires Draw. being uh, aristocratic. Democracy, um, and even vampires being of Eastern European origin to some extent were really solidified by Dracula. And putting people under thrall also from Vampire. I believe so, yeah. Um, now, the novel itself is thought by some to have been inspired in part by um, one, Vlad the Impaler. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, Countess Elizabeth Bathory, which is a wild story. If you don't know anything about that, look it up. Um, the rumor was that she murdered like dozens of young women and bathed in and drank their blood. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, so sounds like a vampire, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear a little bit about the history of Lad the Impaler, a podcast that I listen to that I find it's like comedy podcast, but it's called Citation citations needed citation mm-hmm. needed citation needed there's several podcasts with a similar name it's called citation needed uh, where they take like a wikipedia article and they like 
deep dive a strange topic and make jokes mm-hmm. about it. And one of they one of the recent ish episodes was about Vlad the Impaler. It was funny. So. I wonder if they've ever done Elizabeth Bathory. I don't think they have, I, but I could recommend it. She fascinates me. Because um, it's so interesting to me because, like, there's no way to really prove that she did any of that stuff. Because she was nobility, so yeah. it all got covered up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, the big rumor was it, that she was trying to preserve her youth by yeah. drinking and bathing in blood. Hmm. Fun times. Uh, if you're looking for specifically for the podcast I'm talking about, I believe it's produced by Puzzle and a Thunderstorm is the company. They also do god-awful movies and a bunch of other podcasts, but anyways, continue. Sorry. All right. Um, So moving on in our our evolution timeline here, Mm -hmm. um, Dracula then in turn um, inspired, I'll use that term lightly, um, the silent film, uh, it's Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Um, I say I'm using inspired by lightly because it was basically Dracula with the names changed. Yeah. Um, So that was 1922. Um, but that's actually the first time we see a vampire depicted as being vulnerable to sunlight, um, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. Um, but it was actually so similar to Dracula that, uh, Stoker's estate sued for copyright of infringement and won, and a court ruling ordered that all copies of the film be destroyed. Oh. Um, but a couple of them did survive, and now it's regarded as like an influential cinematic masterpiece. So yeah. good on them, I guess. <laughs> now it was it was destroy all copies of the film, not give them money. I'm glad damages are a thing now <laughs> instead of just destroying art because it infringes on copyright. I don't know how they'd be doing it in 1922. Apparently, they just burned it all. <laughs> All right, so uh, chugging forward. Um, uh, and and one more time to, to, to reiterate, uh, Nosferatu is absolutely, I watched it in film school, <laughs> film school, uh, is, it is a, an absolute <laughs> classic of, of cinema and specifically of the horror movie genre. It's considered like one of the first horror movies uh-huh. of all time. So, Well, I've seen the screen cap of the vampire. Yeah. So he does look pretty horrifying. Yeah, and they, they did a lot of really interesting things with sets and forced mm-hmm. perspective and all this kind of stuff. Interesting, uh, really interesting. interesting. I wonder how that would have turned out if they had been able to actually get the rights to Dracula. Yeah, I don't know. And hadn't just had. I don't remember enough about the, the movie. I don't remember enough about the movie to like know mm-hmm. what how similar it is, but. So now in the twentieth century. Um, we got began to see like a change in how vampires were largely depicted in fiction, um, and it began to go from being depicted as like predominantly animalistic um, to displaying a broader range of more human characteristics. Uh-huh. Um, so we had examples like um, Ray Bradbury's Homecoming, nineteen forty six, which was a short story about a normal boy with a family of. Um, fantastic mythological creatures. Um, We had Dark Shadows, which was an American uh, soap opera. Um, 1975, Fred Saberhagen wrote the Dracula tape, which retold Dracula from Dracula's point of view. And then Anne Rice. Mm -hmm. Um, And her um, sympathetic portrayal um, of, in the novel interview with the vampire, which we're talking about. 
Um, so Rice's book was a pretty big turning point, actually, in the way that vampires are depicted. Um, she was the first one to kind of do this, like, brooding, self-loathing vampire um, with, like, an underworld with, like, political intrigue um, and very, like, human-like qualities to yeah. her vampires. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more under book facts, but Interview with a Vampire was pretty popular, and it kind of sparked this revival of vampire fiction. Um, so sub subsequent vampire stories then continued to use the mythos that she had established, and from that, we get the vampire as the misunderstood romantic hero. So we have... And boy, did we get a lot <laughs> well, of it. Boy, did we. We have uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep. Um, and Angel yes. and Spike. And Spike. Um, we have uh, Charlene Harris's Suki Stackhouse book series, which is the basis for the HBO series True Blood. Mm -hmm. um, we have the Vampire Diaries series by L.J. Smith, which was later made into a CW teen drama. Yeah. And of course. Of course. Of course. Twilight. Yes. Um, now, another 21st century creation is the vampire as the unlikely action hero, um, and it's a little less clear where that incarnation comes from, but I think it's possible that it also comes partly from Anne Rice, because her vampires do possess like enhanced speed and strength, yeah. which is something that we see a lot with the modern vampire. Yeah. Um, so you have like Blade. And that might be where that first started i would have to see how far blade goes back mm -hmm. not to say blade wasn't inspired by like Anne rice and that sort of thing but in terms of yeah, like I don't the know first how like far back blade vampire goes. action hero yeah might be blade maybe um wait right we have blade we have the, the underworld film franchise mm. um and i think buffy also fits into yeah. this category yeah. um especially i think when you consider like the angel spinoff yeah and he's more of like the hero right. of the story right uh the only thing you missed is the comedy spinoff <laughs> what we do in the shadows <laughs> and i'm sure there are others but what we do in the shadows is right fantastic. what we do in the shadows and that's kind of like lampooning the yeah. the modern incarnation of the vampire but in a clever and interesting way <laughs> unlike a uh, vampire suck or whatever that terrible movie was there was some like i think vampire suck is like the same people who make all those awful like disaster movie you know what i mean where oh, it's like I, I know like i recognize the title but i can't like conjure i don't know for sure that that's what it, it was I, i've never seen it i just remember it looking like uh -huh. I, it, that kind of like terrible like scary movie six or whatever mm. where it's or like disaster movie or whatever yeah. um but like yeah just kind of jaded played out well, jokes on when it gets big enough people parody it yep not everyone does it well nope um, so I'm going to go ahead and give us some homework this week. Hooray. Um, whether we're able to get to it in the actual episode or not. I'm sure we will. Um, so if you're reading along with us, if you're watching along with us, um, I want to come back to this idea of connections to other vampire stories, whether they predate Interview with a Vampire or if they came after it. Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit about what we think Anne Rice pulled from and what others pulled from her. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. So that's your homework assignment. Go watch, uh, I almost said what we do in the shadows. Watch that, but also <laughs> watch uh, Interview with a Vampire. But before you do that, stick around, get some facts about the book and some fun facts about the movie, and then go watch it. 
I want you to see we get started. So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. Book fun facts, Katie. What do you have? Um, so, Interview with the Vampire. And it is the vampire. Yes. I always, I've been saying always, it wrong for like my whole life. My whole life I thought it was interview with a vampire. No, it's the vampire. I had no idea. It's a specific one. Yeah, it's specifically Brad Pitt, but I still <laughs> had no idea until literally when I looked it up today. Yeah. <laughs> or when you said no, when I saw your book the other day from the library. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a gothic horror and vampire novel um, by American author Anne Rice. It was published in nineteen seventy six. Um, and this novel utilizes a framing device. Um, it centers on the vampire Lewis, mm-hmm. who is telling the story of his life to a reporter. Yeah. Um, so we have the story of his life with um, interluding scenes where he's talking to the reporter. Yeah. Um, and this is actually based on a short story that Rice wrote a few years earlier. Um which was about 30 pages long and written from the perspective of the reporter, of the interviewer, and not from the vampire. And she started reworking it um, later. Um, So supposedly it took her five weeks to complete the 338-page novel. Um, And this was maybe my favorite fun fact that I found while I was doing research. Supposedly she did research on vampires during the day and then wrote the novel (laughs) at night. (laughs) Supposedly. Uh, There you go. Gotta get in this. It's it's method writing. Yeah. As opposed to method acting. There you go. Um, She composed the novel shortly after the death of her daughter Michelle. Um, who a lot of readers have identified as being possibly the inspiration for the child vampire character, Claudia. Um, So the novel initially had mixed critical reception. Um, Some people really liked it, some people not so much. A reviewer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Hey, that's our Um, hometown. Well, my hometown. What's my hometown, Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, it gave they gave the book a positive review um, and described the prose as hypnotically poetic in tone, rich and sensory imagery. Um, however, Edith Milton of the New Republic wrote, "To pretend it has any purpose beyond suckling eroticism is rank hypocrisy." That's both savage and uh, a, a compliment. <laughs> Suckling eroticism is if somebody I would just if I was an author and I wrote a thing and somebody wrote an official review that had those two words together in it that would be on the cover of my book. <laughs> Suckling eroticism. That's it. <laughs> Quote and Edith Milton, New Republic. <laughs> She's not wrong. Um, close to halfway through, and she is not wrong. There you go. Um, So it got mixed critical reviews, but it was pretty popular with uh, the public. 
Um, it spawned a total of 11 sequels, uh, collectively known as The Vampire Chronicles, as well as a spin-off series called New Tales of the Vampires. There you go. Um, her vampire books also share a fictional universe with her series Lives of the Mayfair Witches and her novel The Mummy or Ramesses the Damned. Um, so I have dubbed this the Anne Rice Literary Universe. There you go. And this they they could have done the dark. Uh, this sounds like they had the makings for the um, when they tried to do the yeah whole when dark, they wanted uh, to do the dark universe. The dark universe with the mummy and uh, yeah, it was already right here, you guys. This is Anne Rice, and just boom, <laughs> there you go. And then um, you can even capitalize on your next point and capitalize on that Fifty Shades of Grey fan uh, audience yeah, <laughs> because uh, she also wrote. The Sleeping Beauty Quartet, which is an erotic BDSM series. There you go. Got everything we you need. Got your, you got your soft core for the middle-aged moms <laughs> for the get them in the theaters, and you got your dynamic cinematic universe. That crossover would be epic. <laughs> get on it, Hollywood. <laughs> um, I had a couple facts about Anne Rice as well. because I didn't she... mean to imply that erotic films are only for middle-aged moms. That was a joke. <laughs> Plenty of people can I mean, enjoy yeah. erotic. That was no, that was a that was a dig on Fifty Shades. I got gotcha. you. Yes, yeah, it, it was, and even that's unfair. But still, well, maybe it's not unfair <laughs> to that book series, but whatever. Sorry, continue. Um, so I have a couple things about Anne Rice herself because um, I find her utterly fascinating. Yeah. Um, she to me, she's like an an author archetype. I don't know what I would call the archetype, but I think she is one. Um, so Anne Rice was raised in um, a pretty strict Catholic family. The evil queen archetype? <laughs> Maybe. Um, Dark queen. <laughs> but she uh, became agnostic as a young adult. And then in the mid-2000s, had a highly publicized return to Catholicism, oh. um, in which she pushed aside her earlier work and wrote novels such as Christ the Lord Out of Egypt, and Christ oh. the Lord, The Return to Cana, hmm. um, obviously fictionalized accounts of um, Fictional <laughs> <laughs> fictionalized <events>. accounts of <laughs> uh, certain incidents yeah. in uh, the life, the of, life Jesus. of Jesus, yeah. as the Bible tells it. Yeah. Um, and then several years later, she again distanced herself from organized <laughs> Christianity, <laughs> um, citing disagreement with the church's stance on social issues. Um, and apparently now she considers herself a secular humanist. Um, so she's run the gamut, this one. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I find really interesting about her is her stance on fan fiction. Because um, it's kind of like an old school Have we talked about this? It. Or has somebody else talked about we this? Watched, we watched um, somebody talk about this. Uh, was it Sarah Z? It was, was it either Sarah Z or, or Lindsay, Lindsay Ellis. Ellis I think too. it was Sarah Z, I though. I think it was, too. Um. So she was, at least previously, um, adamantly opposed yeah. to fan fiction, um, and especially fan fiction um, based on the Vampire Chronicles. Um, she actually, at one point, requested that fanfiction.net, which was the big place right. back in the day, um, remove stories featuring her characters. Um, now, supposedly, she has softened on this, um, more recently. Um, in 2012, uh, Metro quoted her as saying, I got upset about 20 years ago because I thought it would block me. 
I'm assuming she means writer's block here. Oh. Um, however, so, yeah. it's been very easy to avoid reading any, so live and let live. If I were a young writer, I'd want to get my own ideas. But maybe fan fiction is a transitional phase. Whatever gets you there, gets you there. Which is still a dig on fan yeah, fiction. Yeah, it's still <laughs> a bit of a, yeah, a middle-aged take yeah. to be like, Meh. You know, it's a bit of a curmudgeonly take to be like, well, you know, fine, I guess, but like, it's not real writing. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Um, but you know, <laughs> we it is disagree funny that, with that for the record. Yes, we both do. Uh, I, it is interesting that that it makes sense to me though to, that it completely. Uh, I find it very telling and fitting that the time periods here completely match up with this previous uh, paragraph you had. So uh, she released the a, a statement in April of two thousand. Uh, disallowed all such efforts citing copyright issues. Disallowed, it said basically condemning fan fiction mm-hmm. in 2000. And that's when she started her turn to writing a bunch of Christian literature and like yeah. got real big into the church. And then come 2012, around the same time, she decided, nah, I ain't about that church life anymore. <laughs> was like, I guess fan fiction's all right. Like, I feel like there's an interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Commentary on yeah. Uh, sort of the it's an interesting coincidence. Yeah, uh, about the sort of uh, personality types and uh, not always, but you know, it, it's just interesting that those seems things seem to line up uh, in her in her life. There, mm-hmm. but anyways. All right. Well, those were all the book facts <laughs> and uh, Anne Rice facts. There you that go. I had. All right. Uh, that was it for book facts. Let's move on and talk about the movie. never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. I can't stand this any longer. You made us what we are, didn't you? God kills indiscriminately, and so shall we. Do you like dying? You condemn me to hell! Monster. Interview with the Vampire: colon, The Vampire Chronicles, which I did not realize. Oh, I didn't realize. I don't it think had a it may have been either. released that way. I uh-huh. think that may have happened. Come like, a thing we'll on. talk about later. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. It's a 1994 film directed by Neil Jordan, uh, most famously the director of The Crying Game. Which boy, I've never seen that movie. I know the the twist at the end, quote unquote. I, I don't know. Real about uh, interested to see. I'd be really interested to see. I think that might also be based on a book. I'm not sure. Really interested to see how that holds up socially <laughs> in the current. Uh, again, I know nothing about it or what the message or where it goes or anything other than like the vague twist at the end or towards the end, but it seems very problematic. Um, uh, also directed Michael Collins, which was a Liam Neeson film about a like an Irish uh, rabble rouser kind of mm-hmm. guy. Uh, and more recently, uh, in like 2018, he directed a handful of episodes of The Borgias. The hmm. Borgias. Um, which is historical uh, fiction, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you know, whatever. Like, um, yeah, fictionalized. Yeah, history. Yeah, uh, the movie was written by Anne Rice. It was also oh. co-written by the uh, director Neil Jordan, but he did mm-hmm. not get a credit on it. Hmm. But it was primarily written by Anne Rice. I didn't realize she did the screenplay. Yeah, uh, and she got the only writing credit for it, even though again Neil Jordan supposedly was involved. Uh, which and she the other thing she wrote is Queen of the Damned, which I did not realize until 
literally today when I was doing this research, is also from the Vampire Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. And I believe that is when they added, potentially, the subtitle to um, this movie, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Interview with the Vampire. Uh, probably around the time Queen of the Damned came out, they may have slapped retroactively the subtitle, mm-hmm. the Vampire Chronicles, so that people, so would that know people they were related them. Because I it still did not work on me. In my head, this movie has always been called Interview with a Vampire. And that's it. Yeah. I didn't even have the title right, let alone have the subtitle. <laughs> um, and I had no idea that Queen of the Damned was related at all. Uh, which it's Queen all of, in the Anne Rice yeah, literary universe. Yeah. Uh, and famously, Queen of the Damned is not particularly good. Uh, I believe it's Aaliyah's last movie. It was like right before she uh-huh. died. And she plays, like, the main character. You know what? You know what? At some point, we could do that and oh. cross over with good, bad, or bad, bad. This is, so the plan, well, I'm going to talk about it. We're, start, we're not going to announce it here, but we I have plans for all of this. Okay. We're going okay. we're we're to do a thing. We're going to do a thing. Okay. So stay tuned for details, uh, but you'll see. We're going to do a thing, you guys. We're going to do a thing, um, and, but you'll see. Uh, it stars Brad Pitt, Christian Slater, Tom Cruise, Thandie Newton, Kirsten Dunst, Antonio Banderas and more. Quite the cast. I believe it might be Kirsten Dunst's first role. I think um, that's she's right. She's like 12 in this movie. Or like movie. one of her first yeah. roles. Yeah, uh, she was like supposedly found by the casting director uh, and like the only person they auditioned or something. Hmm. Um, and she plays the, the, the Claudia, the young vampire you mentioned earlier. Uh, the rights to Rice's novel were initially purchased by Paramount Pictures in April 76 before the book was even published. Uh, but the script spent years, like decades, in development yeah, hell before no finally kidding. ending up with Warner Brothers. Um, it went through a couple different companies. Nobody kept being, you know, in development forever. Finally, Warner Brothers got it. Uh, they called Neil Jordan, wanted him to direct it, which he was intrigued by the script, and he called it a really interesting and slightly theatrical screenplay. He was especially interested, though, after he read the novel. Uh, the themes of Catholic guilt, which Ugh. pervade the novel, attracted Neil Jordan. Catholic guilt. <laughs> it attracted the director, Neil Jordan, who called the story, quote, the most wonderful parable about wallowing in guilt that I'd ever come across. But these things are unconscious. I don't have an agenda, end quote. So don't ever say I don't have an agenda as an artist. <laughs> like, that's stupid, I think. But whatever. Um, I feel like he was trying to, like, play both sides there and be like, it's about Catholic guilt, but also I don't have an agenda. It's like a good movie. Go see it. Like, you know, it's probably on like a press junket or something. Yeah. Um, so David Geffen produced the movie, a uh, big, big name producer. Uh, and the movie was given a $70 million budget, which in 1992 was completely unprecedented for a film. That's like a vampire genre film, mm-hmm. completely unprecedented to have a budget. That's a big budget. That's a yeah. fairly large budget. Even today. Yeah. $70 million. Um, Anne Rice met with Tom Hanks to take the part of Lestat after seeing his performance in Philadelphia. Oh, that sounds weird. Yeah. I don't know if I pronounced that right, by the way, but Lestat, Lestat, Lestat. I think it's Lestat, but I'm not sure. That's how I've been saying it in my head, but I guess we'll find out (laughs) when we watch the movie. Uh, But Tom Hanks turned the role down, uh, uh, turned it down in order to star in Forrest Gump, another movie Mm -hmm. we'll do eventually. Uh, after uh, they talked to Tom Hanks, Anne Rice wanted Julian, uh, Julan, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, Sands, he's a British actor, uh, probably most known from Room with a View, but was mm-hmm. also in The Killing Fields, Arachnophobia, and a bunch of other stuff. He's not like a, if you see him, you might recognize him if you've seen some of these movies, but he's not like a big famous actor mm-hmm. um, to play Lestat. But the studio didn't think he had the star power, uh, as I mentioned, so they went with Tom Cruise instead. And Tom Cruise received a record $10 million salary and a percentage of the profits of the film to be in this movie. That guy's agent is... Yeah. And this is, I mean, <laughs> now this is 
this isn't even Tom Cruise at the peak. This is Tom right. Cruise at the beginning of the peak. This is post Top Gun and, you know, like his bigger, he's big at this mm-hmm. point, but this is pre-Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pre uh, uh, some of his other big movies. I think it might be pre-Jerry Maguire or mm-hmm. right around Jerry Maguire. I don't know exactly. I think it might be pre-Jerry Maguire. So, yeah, but he was already in Top Gun and that sort of stuff. So, anyways, um, and uh, initially Anne Rice hated Tom Cruise for Lestat. Uh, she offered the studio a bunch of other actors to play the role, uh, and like Jeremy Irons and like all these different people. Oh. She was like, "This, this person, this person. How about this person?" Um, uh, and eventually, she got to the point that she just suggested that Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise switch roles. <laughs> she was like, "I tried for a long time." This is a quote. I tried for a long time to tell them that they should just reverse these roles: have Brad Pitt play Lestat and have Tom Cruise play Lewis. Uh, of course, they don't listen to me. <laughs> She eventually, though, did change her mind after she saw the movie and saw Tom Cruise in the role. She actually called Tom Cruise to apologize and compliment him for his performance. And oh, she had a man. quote about how uh, she he inhabited the character in a way she did not expect. And when as soon as she saw him on screen as the character, it clicked and it worked for her like perfectly. So you never know. <laughs> this is why she fascinates me. Yeah, it's fascinating. She's Truly so... fascinating. Um, uh <laughs> So in in some of the scenes, Tom Cruise was placed on an elevated platform to reduce the height (laughs) difference between his character and other vampires. Now, again, I will reiterate, as I always do, some of these facts are from the IMDb trivia section, so you never know how true those all are, but this seems reasonable. This seems pretty reasonable. Seems pretty reasonable. Um, uh, Also, originally, River Phoenix was cast for the role of Daniel Malloy. I don't know who that is in the movie, or in the book or movie, Um, but River Phoenix uh, passed away four weeks before filming started. Mm. Uh, after that, Christian Slater was cast, and who, that's who plays the character in the movie. And I thought this was kind of cool and interesting. Uh, he donated his entire salary from the film to River Phoenix's favorite charitable organizations. It was like mm-hmm. not a ton of money, but it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something, yeah. uh, and donated all of it to charities for that River Phoenix was involved in or whatever. So uh, the special effects were done by Stan Winston Studios. Uh, Stan Winston's famously did a lot of special effects in Jurassic Park, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, And he designed the characters' vampire appearances and makeup effects. This included a technique, and this is fascinating to me, uh, where he stenciled the blue veins onto their faces. Uh But in order to do this, the actors were hung upside down for 30 minutes so the blood would rush to their heads and then their veins would protrude, and then they could then trace the artist, the makeup artist could trace the veins on their face God. with the makeup to like match the actual veinage of their face, which is... That's wild. Seems highly unnecessary, but yeah. there you go. Sure. You can just know vaguely where veins are in a face, <laughs> but okay. Um... And then, after seeing the film, Anne Rice was so pleased with the adaptation that she took out a two-page ad in both Vanity Fair and the New York Times and endorsed it as a masterpiece. So. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a, that's such a melodramatic move. Yeah. Yeah, she loved it. She thought it was great. So I'm interested to see how you think it compares because the author was like. Yeah. Brava. (laughs) <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to watch the movie. Like I said, I've never seen it. Uh, one of those ones that's kind of always been, you hear people talk about, it's always been on a list of like, oh, I should watch that one day and just mm-hmm. never got around to it because yeah. it's just, you know, not really like in particularly like one of the genres that I normally would watch. But uh, I, I am really looking forward to watching watching it. Um, so yeah, we don't know if it's available anywhere. We haven't looked I haven't looked way. yet. 
hopefully it's i know it's available to rent for like four bucks on amazon mm-hmm. but hopefully it's free somewhere we'll see uh probably on like hbo or something yeah, which yeah. would be my guess they tend to be anyways uh if you could do us a favor as always go ahead and check us out on all the social media facebook twitter instagram goodreads all those good places you can comment and tweet at us and and tell us what you think about the different adaptations and maybe your comments will get read like they did at the beginning of this episode also, if you could do us another big favor and go out and rate and review us on iTunes, primarily iTunes, but anywhere else you can find our podcast and download us. Um, it does a great service to us, uh, gets us out there even more, gets us shared around, which is fantastic. I guess I'll announce it now at the end. What we're going to do, we're going to start a Patreon. Uh, it's not, it's going to be a little bit. I just want to throw it out there in this episode and see if any less people listen to this anyway. So if we don't follow, well, we're going to follow through, but we're going to have a Patreon. Uh, I haven't figured out all the details of it yet, but that will be coming in the next few weeks if not month um and i think one of the things we're going to do for that that will be one of the levels is a monthly ish review of terrible adaptations like queen of the damned okay so we'll do a separate patron only thing that is some of those bad movies Mm -hmm. uh, on top of our normal episodes not that we can't ever do bad movies in our normal episodes but that will be its own separate thing we'll go find the worst of the worst adaptations and uh, talk about those uh for patrons only uh, it'll be similar to kind of like good bad or bad bad type thing um obviously no video so uh look forward to that and we'll figure out the rest of the details but that will be coming soon there's your little tease your little preview uh, but yeah look out for that uh and until next time guys gals not binary and everybody else Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And And keep keep being being awesome. awesome.